It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. some uh, heavy topics sometimes. We do some pretty pretty intense uh, conversations on this show about a variety of topics from interpersonal relationships to uh, court systems to you name it. And today we're doing a little bit different. We are talking about the animals, you know, talk to the animals. And remember that uh, uh, show about it? I can't remember the name of the show, but I certainly remember the tune about talking to the animals. And... Um, we're going to talk about the animals a little bit today. Uh, I think we all have animal stories, and I think we sometimes forget about how significant animals can be in our lives. I know I remember it almost every day because I actually have a service dog that follows me everywhere, so I'm constantly aware of what my dog does for me and, and how she enables me to go about a, a normal life again. But even animals that we call companion animals, the animals that keep us company and the ones that come and greet us at the door when we come home, they can make a big difference in our lives. And um, we brought a couple of experts on the show today, so we can talk about that. Our first expert is Dr. Kim Nichols. And uh, Dr. Nichols, you are in um, Washington State, and you are a veterinarian. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a small animal practitioner in the old town of Renton, Washington, just south of Seattle. I've been in practice for over 30 years. Um, I do a lot of work with uh, service animals in my practice. We do a lot of work with um, uh, seeing eye dogs, and I've worked a lot with um, Canine Companions for Independence. In fact, they've even named some puppies after me at CCIS. Kind of. Fun. Oh, really? So we've got little doggy yeah. Kims running around out there. <laughs> a couple Good. of Nicholases, yeah. Mm. And then my, my practice's name. Um, they, they've. I've got a couple of puppies with my practice's name included in their name. That's been kind of fun too. We have a river and a cedar and a couple other puppies running around. Wow, that's cool. Um, yeah, it's you often hear about the the police officer that delivers the baby on the freeway, getting the baby named after him. You get you get to do that without all the traffic, huh? Oh, that's boring stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and Jenna, Jenna Pringle. Welcome, Hello. Jenna. Thank you. Yeah, and Jenna. Jenna, you are a specialist in. Uh, you work for the Seattle Humane Society, and you are a special in a specialist in adoption and placement of animals with uh, new families. And um, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into that? Um, well, as a lifetime animal lover, I just got involved um, in animal welfare pretty early on. Um, in college, started at Seattle Humane Society as an adoption advisor, and just kind of used my other interests to. Um, coming my way around and eventually become um, the manager of marketing. Um, I just, my main passion is basically just to share the love of animals um, with everybody, and so it really fits well with my um, career choice. Uh, it's kind of encourage people to adopt and um, just like the topic of the show, let people know how important animal companionship is and what it can really do to our lives and, um, you know, just working with other people even. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm a firm believer in, in the significance of animals in our lives. Um, I've always had a pet um, ever since I was a little, little kid, which was about 150 years ago. Um, I lived out in the country back then, and we were always getting stray animals. People would, I think back then, I hope they don't do this anymore, but uh, people would think, well, we can't handle the cat, or we had uh, puppies that we don't need, so they would just take them out and release them, you know, in, in near the farms. Um, you know, I don't know whether they thought that the animals could fend for themselves or whether the nice farmer would adopt them or, you know, what they would do, but that was really um, 
prevalent uh, and common back when I grew up. So we often had uh, a lot of stray animals that just kind of became our animals. And sometimes, again, back in the country, we didn't have humane society to call. Uh, sometimes, literally, we would have to um, put the animals down ourselves. And um, that sounds crude by today's standards, but back then in farm territory, that's what you did. Um, you couldn't have all the strays running around, and it wasn't healthy for the animals. And uh, on occasion, not frequently, but on occasion, um, you know, the farmers would have to destroy the animals themselves that were left. Uh, does that shock you, Kim? Have you? Oh, no. I, I've seen a lot of that also. Fortunately, I don't see as much of it now as I used to 10, 15 years ago. Part of, it, part of that probably is because where I'm at especially – it's become more cityfied, you know. We don't have don't have as many of the um, um, agricultural clients, and but I have I have associates who are still country vets, and fortunately they report to me that that isn't the attitude isn't as prevalent as it used to be either. Good news. Well, I think there are places we can call now. You know, I mean, we yeah. can we can call for help if that situation arises. Back then, you didn't really. You really didn't have any place to call, you know. I mean, you just took sure. care of the problem, or the animal was just left to to wander and become diseased and everything. I know, gosh, when I was a, a kid, um, we had several stray cats that were around, and one of them was particularly vicious and bit me. And I actually had to uh, have rabies vaccine back then because of the animal. So, I mean, it wasn't something frivolous when the farmers would go ahead and, and destroy some of the animals. I mean, it wasn't frivolous at all. I mean, it, there was some oh. danger involved there, mm-hmm. and they had to take care of it on their own. And uh, my kids get a great deal of uh, uh, laughter when I describe how we had the dried duck embryo in one vial and the medicine in the other vial, and you got your shots around your belly button. Fortunately, if that happens to somebody today, it's a lot simpler, I think. But, um, yeah, it was it was something where people had to take care of it on their own. And now, of course, we can call the Humane Society, we can call the uh, Animal Control, we can call and have someone who uh, deals with this professionally take care, of, take care of this. So why would somebody want an animal? Kim, what, what do you, why, why does somebody want an animal? I mean, clearly if it's a service animal, we want it because it performs a task for our daily living. But what if it's just a pet? Why would we want to bother with that? Oh, they just bring so much joy to somebody's life. It's as simple as that. Animals. Oh cool. yeah, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be double I'm gonna be double the advocate here. They bring joy, but there's lots of hair. They're slobber. They they get sick. <laughs> yeah. They drag in things from outside. You know, I mean, come on. And the germs. I mean, why would I want that? You're describing children. That's, that's, <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and we have those without too much thought, don't we? <laughs> that's my point. Yeah. Yes. Animals. They love you unconditionally. Uh, there's just something about them physiologically that um, if you have a puppy or kitten that sits in your lap and just kind of snuggles in, it lowers your blood pressure. It, it just it just brings just plain old joy. And I don't know how to measure that, but just animals are cool. Yeah, and for a lot of people, it could bring meaning and purpose to your life. Um, so we hear stories all the time about how people lose a bunch of weight because they adopted a dog and now they have an excuse to get out and go walking or go to the park and it helps them become more um, social and they meet other people with similar interests and um, they find their social life kind of revolving around their their pets even. And if you want to bring in some science into it, studies Mm -hmm. have shown that animals uh, animals improve your health. They lower your blood pressure. They can lower your heart rate. They just bring a just general satisfaction that just improves your general physical health. Not to mention your health. emotional would... health. Yeah, mental and emotional mm-hmm. health. Oh, I know. I read studies once that the, that um, if you go, if you hold a baby, not a crying baby, but a regular like sleeping baby or something, your blood pressure goes down and your heart rate goes down. And it's the same with holding a, an animal, isn't it? Uh, there's oh, yeah. something about us that we want to to have this this peacefulness and and whatever in our lives. I guess I don't know. So maybe what we should do is for people who can't, uh, who are in apartments, maybe they don't have, they work all the time and they don't have time for for an, their own animal. Maybe what we should do is have animal uh, way stations where these folks can just go in and pet the animals for a while. There Correct. are some um, universities where you can <laughs> rent puppies during finals week. 
Yep. Oh, really? Yeah. Heather, Very you know, cool. um, I don't. I can't remember which one, but I know there's some universities where you can check out a dog or a puppy during finals week, and it helps people helps the students lower their anxiety. How very yes, cool actually, is that? It, it is. It's great. I mean, Seattle Humane has actually received lots of requests for this exact thing um, from local universities, um, namely UW. Um, and what we do, actually, since we don't really have a checkout policy, but we do have an off-site adoption program. And so we bring our Maxmobile, which is our mobile adoption bus, um, a couple times a year to the UW campus around their testing time. And um, students can come out and meet and greet with cats and dogs. Um, they're available for adoption, but if they're looking just to um, get some like last-minute anxiety control before they take a test, they're welcome to do that as well. Huh. How cl- oh, but, and is, with the adoption or the, the temporary adoption or whatever you want to call it, um, is that good for the animal? Um, well, we don't do temporary I mean, a lo- loner, a loner program for the animal, is that good? <laughs> well, it's basically, um, I think what other shelters do when they're talking about um, this checkout puppy system, um, I think they just come yeah. for a visit. So they get to, you know, play with puppies prior to taking a test. And I think it's mutually beneficial that puppies get some social time and um, the students get some time to kind of be distracted from their testing anxiety. I think some of that, too, depends yeah. on the personality of the puppy. But for the most part, um, I think socialization for any puppy is, is healthy. You get some of these yeah. little timid, fearful dogs, you know, and in the right environment, the socialization can really help. I agree. But not, it's not. It's not. Yeah, but I think she'll agree. It's not for every dog, every personality, but for a lot of pets, I think it's a good thing. But for both the the puppy and the people. Well, and it uh, seems to me that you know there are so many people I know when I was in college and stuff. There was no way I could have a dog, um, but I wanted a dog. Uh, it would have been wonderful to be able to just kind of like visit a dog. Of course, I feel that way about children. I, I would have loved to have had more children, but there's no way I could have done it. And so many years ago, several of my friends and I were talking about, well, three of us should get together and each have and, and have a child between the three of us, so that that way, you know, <laughs> that way well, we could handle the workload and expense. Yes, <laughs> that way we could have handled the expense of the time and you know all that kind of stuff. Um, we just get together but, for dinner. You know, the question would. Yeah, exactly. Um, it might not be a bad idea for the kid either. Think about that. Three families that you could actually identify with and, you know, probably not a bad idea. Um, what about, um, you know, I, I don't know if either of you have ever been to Tokyo, and I don't know if they do this other places, but I, my daughter lived in Tokyo for a while, and so I went to visit her. And the department store, the major department store in Tokyo, has, uh, you pay money, and they have this enormous cat, shelter like on the fifth floor of this big downtown shopping uh you know uh store department store and you pay money you go in there and they have the entire it's like three or four rooms full of tunnel carpeted trees and all sorts of things and they have a complement of cats that live in there you pay your money you go in there you get to watch the cats handle the cats and then when you're done you leave yeah so much like and a cat cat pay a lot of concept. Do, uh, do they have that cool. here? I've never been to one. Um, well, actually, Seattle yeah. Metropolitan is actually in the process of developing a cat cafe for in July. And uh, last weekend, actually, they did a pop-up cafe just to kind of gauge Seattle's interest in it, and it was quite popular. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Well, people pay money for this. It's not just, oh, I'm going to go see the cats because they're there. Yes, and I don't know what the final concept will be for the uh like the permanent location of the cat cafe, um, if they're just going to charge people for, you know, drinks and food, and that's kind of their fare to play with the cats, or if they'll charge an additional fee to hang out as well. Oh, okay, so you're talking a literal cafe, because in Tokyo yes. it's not. It does nothing. The cats are it. That's it. You don't oh, have it. food. Okay. You don't have any entertainment. The cats <laughs> are it, and people pay money to go in there and interact and watch the cats. That, you know, there's no food involved. There's nothing, uh, nothing else involved. <laughs> no product. You just go there and pay money to go play with the cats. And and that's the way. It you know, be. I mean, it. it yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know why they don't do it with, with animals, except that in Tokyo everything was so tiny that the dogs that you saw were all very tiny dog. You know, purse dogs. I always call them the Paris Hilton dogs. Um, 
but um, the cats, I guess, are easier for people in, in dense cities to to um, to care for or something. I don't know. But yeah, uh, yeah I, and I was astounded by how much they charge to go in and see these cats. You know, <laughs> and I'm sitting there. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, country girl from Ohio. Cats, you're paying money to see cats. <laughs> so it was kind of a well, cats I, I are a part of popular culture right now. So I don't find it too surprising, actually. No. I tell people all the oh, time. Oh, really? Neither one of you. Okay. Very, animals are very good at training people. That's just another <laughs> yeah, example. I know. Yeah, I know. That's a, when people ask me about what kind of dog, training my dog has had, I said, well, we have had, you know, three trainers. Because <laughs> to me, 90% of the dog training is the people training. Um, so I, I had to be trained. And the, <laughs> the easy part was training the dog. <laughs> But uh, anyway, so this sounds like an an idea. (laughs) Oh, I thought they laughed with their tails, you know. Um, I have a sister-in-law who, or had a sister-in-law who is a veterinarian, and um, so I have one of these those things on my my uh, porch that little little plaques that says "Dogs wag their tails with their hearts" or something. You know, one of those little sayings. Um, We we really get into our animals. I mean, I do. We all do. Um, we just really get into our animals, even when we have kids. I used to think animals were substitutes for kids. And then I had kids and realized that, no, not really. You know, it's a totally different thing. Um, why is why do we want animals? Kim, do you know, can you answer that? Well, I think it goes back to our earlier discussion. It brings a lot of satisfaction to your life, gives you purpose. Um, everybody has the need to love and be loved, and animals give you all of that. And an an upside to having a dog versus a kid is that if you want to go to a movie, you can put the dog in the kennel and go to movies. (laughs) If you do it with a kid, kid, you're only going to do it once. Yeah, Yeah. until CPS finds out, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. And I think that's true. I always say, you know, I love my kids, but I can put the dog in a kennel, you know, yeah. <laughs> which which is a big selling point, quite frankly. Um, but uh, so has this, this human animal bond and why cats and dogs? I mean, I've heard of people bonding with uh, pigs. I grew up with pigs as farm animals. I, you know, piglets are adorable. I mean, I've hand fed a number of piglets, but they grew mm-hmm. up into be to being pigs, I, I can't, you know, I, my my affection ends at about the 150-pound mark. Um, right. Why why do we have this affinity for animals, and why certain animals? Well, I think just from, like, a historical yeah, perspective. silence. Okay, come on. Well, I'm trying to be polite. I want to Yeah, well, just I mean, just historically, um, I mean, dogs and cats have obviously been domesticated and um, easily become part of people's everyday lives and social lives, and it's easy for us to see them um, cohabitating. Um, for pigs, um, although they're incredibly intelligent animals and um, can be trained just as easily as any dog, um, especially any cat. Um, I, I think it's just like the feasibility of actually housing one and, you know, the same with other animals because you can certainly bond with, you know, other farm animals, cows and horses, and I think it just becomes sure. a uh, management issue with your lifestyle. Yeah, and sheep I are adorable. Was... I mean, I, I used to have yeah. a, a bottle-fed, you know, I used to raise sheep, and, and um, we had a bottle-fed lamb whose mother died, and she was, I mean, she was like a dog. Sheep are like dogs unless they're with their herd. You know, then they bond with their herd. But if you bottle feed a sheep, I mean, that lamb thinks it's a dog. It could come buying at the door to get in and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, with socialization and creating positive um, interactions and associations with people, um, essentially any animal really can become your pet and, you know, your companion. Um it just comes down to again, like just having feasibility and be able. You know, you can't really take your sheep to the dog park. That's true. <laughs> People frown on it when you walk in with your angora goat. You know. Um, yes. <laughs> but and, well, why some animals are socially acceptable and others not? I mean, it, dogs dogs leave fecal matter, and it could be pretty messy, especially the size of a dog. So it's not just what uh, you know a, a 
determinant, you know, like, uh, okay, you don't walk around with a pet cow because they leave cow patties everywhere. Dogs leave mm-hmm. dog messes everywhere, and we manage that. Kim, how come some animals and not others are socially acceptable? Part of it is packaging, so to speak. Uh, dogs and cats in particular, they're small, they're manageable, they're warm and fuzzy, and they're domesticated to the point where uh, they're, they're more interactive to people. Um, mm-hmm. I have, I've, you know, I've, like Jenna was saying, I have clients who pot belly pigs, and the, they can get attached to other critters. My son has a parrot, a little bird that he adores and takes everywhere with him. And then some of it comes down to just kind of social norms. You know, society we're used to dogs and cats. You're not used to seeing very many people walking a Holstein down Main Street. <laughs> as well as yeah. you know, be able to get them in the car for just practical things like a vet yeah. visit. Yeah, yeah it goes yeah. down to the well, packaging. You, you pretty much have to have the pickup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but cows are adorable. I mean, I, I grew up, like I said, in a farm, and and cows are just absolutely warm and, and adorable, and and you know, but and the thing with the pigs, you know, I know a lot of people have pet pigs, and I've never been around a pet pig, but I've been around farm pigs, and they. Stink to high heaven. I mean, you know. I mean, cats have litter boxes, and if you don't, if you don't keep up on it, you know, you can get older. Same thing with the dogs. You don't clean up after. But with pigs, I mean, they just stink to high heaven. How do the people who have pet pigs handle that? Well, I mean, if they're if they're indoor companions and you're keeping them clean, uh, I don't imagine that they would smell any different, really. Really? When I was in veterinary school, we went out to some pig operations. I'll tell you, the, the, the stench is overwhelming. I think a lot of these people, <laughs> they just, I think I think they burn out some of their olfactory senses as part of the process. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've often wondered like about the pet pig. Yeah. It's like the cat hoarder. I think after a while, you just don't smell it anymore. Really? Wow. Well, and that's the thing, too. I mean, with dogs, I mean, I know I have my dog, and you go in my house, and even though I don't smell it, and I keep things clean, I'm sure people who don't have dogs walk in my house and smell dog. Um, Probably. And if you find that offensive, then, you know. Don't come over. Then don't walk in my house. Um, Exactly. (laughs) You know, I mean, they say vegetarians can smell meat eaters, that there's an offensive odor around those of us who eat meat. So, if you're not involved in what produces the odor, I mean, you know, I mean, if you're with somebody who's eating garlic, go ahead and eat the garlic, and you won't notice it, right? Um, yeah. So if we, you know, all those people who have pig, pigs for pets just have pig pet owners for friends. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I've I've, I don't know. I've known people to have pigs as pets, and I never really noticed any particular odor when they only have one pig. Maybe if they had several, and you know, free outdoor access. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Can you litter train a pig? I don't imagine you could. You can house train a pig. Oh yeah, yeah. You can house train like a cat. Really? To like a big old litter tray, or or yes, or you can tray, do it yeah. as you would a dog. Oh, so to, to ask to go out, kind of thing. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I know pigs are smart, but um, that doesn't necessarily mean they're motivated to not dump all over your house. You know. Correct. I mean, dogs have um, um, just like an innate sense of wanting to keep their living areas clean, so sometimes it's easier to kennel train a dog. Um, a pig might uh, be a little more difficult, but they certainly have the um, capability to learn that as well. What about things like snakes? You know what? I, I have to, I'm so involved in this discussion, I haven't given out our phone number. If you have an animal-related question or story that you want to share with us, jump in here. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. The phone number is 646 378 Zero four three zero six four six three seven eight zero four three zero. Give us a call and join in our discussion here. Maybe you've had an unusual pet or a pet story. Um, so, what about some of the more exotic animals like snakes and rats and things like that, which I have never even had a twinge of warm feelings toward? Um, <laughs> what's that all about? Um, I think it's just a sense of the exotic. Um, again, I do know people who also are really into um, the exotic pets and ha- do have snakes and, um, you know, other reptiles. But I, it's not something that also appeals to me, and I think it's just mainly experience. Um, but so, as far the, as, Kim, when, do you see people with these kinds of exotic pets? 
Some. I don't see as many as I used to. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't see as many of the exotics as I used to, just because there are more um, better trained veterinarians in the area to handle that. I personally okay. don't. So. They, they can, snakes creep me out. <laughs> okay, good. My my estimation of you just went up notches and notches there, Kim. Um, <laughs> my feeling is is that sometimes people have these pets more for shock value than for the fact that they really want to interact with something warm and cuddly. Correct. Yeah, and or yeah. they're just curious. Oh, so they're they're, they're more like, oh yes, I want the I want the uh, um, you know the the. How do, how do you pronounce that? Yadro, ladro. Uh, I, I, I want the uh, the the. Um, uh, I don't know. I want I want the Louis Vuitton shoes rather than the Payless shoes, only because that, that everybody will see that I have the Louis Vuitton shoes. Yeah, everybody has their own motivation for why they do stuff, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. And I don't find, I don't find anything warm and fuzzy. <laughs> I'm trying huh? to figure out a reason that, to justify my not liking these these pets. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I guess what the distinction I'm trying to make is that you know some of us have animals because we get that warm feeling between us, and it seems to me that maybe the owners of the exotic animals are not so much looking for a warm feeling between themselves and the critter as more of a uh, as a, a different motivation, uh, maybe um, look look what I got or look what I could figure out or uh, you know I don't, I don't know where I'm going here. I'm trying to delve <laughs> into psychology and clearly I'm not doing a good job of it. Uh, maybe, but um, uh, it's really hard to make any kind of generalization, uh, especially you know I'm coming from a sense where I don't have a whole lot of experience with those type of pets. So I couldn't really say exactly what it is that they're getting from them that they um, wouldn't get from, you know, perhaps a dog or cat. Well, I think there's been a lot of legislation or or at least a lot of uh, laws and and statutes created in the last few years to help protect against the really uh, bizarre um, exotic pets. I mean, you don't see people owning... um, you know what are, what are the, what are the caymans and things like that so much anymore, um, mm-hmm. which is probably some of that a goes really to good public plan. Health reasons too. Oh really? Well, so yeah, are health. there public health issues? Well, ahead. yeah. If you want to use the cayman as an example, you know they're they're cute when they're three inches long, but they grow up to be four or five feet long, and so then people dump them in the the local yes. lake, you know, and then that creates a health. No potential problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't see people species. anymore being allowed to have you know, baby lion. I'd love to have a lion cub. I mean, there's nothing cute. Really? Well, than a lion cub, if you could keep it there. That's my point. Then they, guess what? Then they grow up to be big lions, and what do you do with them? So there have been yeah, a lot of Yeah, of course, you can, again, use places. your human baby analogy for that one, too. That's true. Yeah, you know, sure, they're the cute. They're little, different. but then they grow up on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. yeah, sadly I've yeah. noticed that they grow up to be people, don't they? Yes, I know, with their own opinions and their own, you know, expenses and all that other stuff. So yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think it's good that you know, from the like you were saying, from the public health standpoint, you know, that we keep those kinds of animals in the hands of professionals. But there are other things, you know, like well, and that's the other thing too about the when we're talking public health. You know, I mean, look at all the problems with the snakes that have been released, and what's the matter with people if they get these things and then they think they can just turn them loose in the wild, like somehow or other that's doing the, the animal a favor? What's with that? You're the psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Well, I don't get that. Well, they think that they're doing the animal work, a favor. Well, maybe they're thinking that being out in the wild is what they would want, you know, but that animal... Even if that's not a wild that is anywhere near that animal's, uh, you know, uh, uh, background. I mean, I don't understand that. Right, but, you know, not everyone is a biologist. They might not understand that. They just kind of think that they're happier out in the wild doing their own thing. Yeah, I'm a boa constrictor. I'm out in the wild. I'm doing my own thing, you know. (laughs) decimating mm-hmm. wildlife that belongs here. I don't know. All right, I'm harsh and judgmental. Okay. Um, <laughs> what about 
Uh, <laughs> well, and I guess maybe because it does harken back to that that childhood where people release their their animals and their litters of puppies and everything, and, and in the in, in the farm territory, and let us have to worry about putting them down and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that, that's not. I don't care who you are. Your sign will agree. You don't want to help have to you know kill a puppy. I mean, come on, who wants to do that? Um, but as human beings, we tend to look at the larger picture here. Okay, is this really doing this puppy a favor? To wander around the wilds where, you know, if it does encounter a human being, it might attack that human being simply because of fear or um, where it's exposed to diseases, where it doesn't have a a solid, you know, source or continuous source of food and blah, blah, blah. That's not doing it a favor. Uh, um, You know, I mean, what's the matter with people? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just have to say from a shelter's perspective, I mean, ultimately that's our goal. We don't want to... No one wants to have to euthanize animals needlessly. Um, so if we're able to get them into shelters and find the right avenues, we're able to, um, you know, encourage spay and neuter and prevent pet overpopulation and find these pets new homes. Yeah. So they're really, especially in an urban or suburban setting, there really is, it's not necessary to be euthanize, euthanizing animals for population control only. Yeah, well, uh, that, and I'm glad you made that distinction. I, we talked a little bit off the air about a situation that I'm going through right now, which is a really sad one. I adopted Hoshi uh, right after the first of the new year, and Hoshi's a little kitty who is just adorable. She's a Siamese mix, so she has that beautiful creamy and, and gray coloration, the big, beautiful blue eyes. She's mixed maybe with a Manx or maybe had an accident. The vets couldn't really tell, but she doesn't have a tail. And she's just this adorable little kitty, right? And so I adopted her from a shelter, and um, she had a little skin condition. They said she had uh, probably flea dermatitis. So mm-hmm. I take her, took her to the vet a few times to work on that. We tried uh, some um, steroids, and we tried some special food. Da, da, da. Skin, t- skin condition continued to worsen, and as we were treating that, behaviorally the cat started to really become aggressive started out, she's on my lap, I'm petting her, and all of a sudden she just and zipped around, spun around and slashed and and bit me. And I thought, oh my gosh, I must have touched her in a really tender spot, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because that's what happens if you touch an animal where it hurts, you know, I mean, what do you expect from them? And so I kind of watched it, and then I, you know, went to the vet and said, okay, well, this isn't working, and she seems to be having the, long story short, those, those fits, for lack of a better word, continued to accelerate, to get worse, and um, to the point where she was biting me in my sleep. She'd jump up on the bed, bite me in my sleep. If I wasn't around, she would latch onto the carpet or the bedspread, and she would bite that fabric and not let go and just rip it, tear it, you know, moving her head and body. And um, a couple weeks ago, she bit me again while I was sleeping and drew a lot of blood and and I had like a circle from her mouth and and she wouldn't she what she it's like her jaws lock she doesn't let go and earlier this week again in my sleep she bit my forearm and I ended up with a swath of cat bite about six inches wide um, drew a lot of blood I mean it was like a little scene from Psycho when I was washing it off and um, I noticed that when she came out of these things her right front leg was absolutely stiff and straight out and she would lick it furiously and she was having these seizures or fits or whatever you want to call them even when there was no one around even if she i mean nobody had to touch her you know i would be in my den and she'd be upstairs in the bedroom and i would hear her going through these these you know this i i would hear her having these things you know and um, the vet couldn't think of a, of a solution. I went back to the the adoption center and said, "There's something wrong here. Please, you know, what are we? What can we do here?" Anyway, after a number of, of consults and after talking with everything from animal control to my vet to the shelter folks, it was determined that there's probably something neurological going on with this cat because she did draw blood, and I'm, I, had, I ended up in the emergency room and a couple of nasty antibiotics that I have to take and all this kind of stuff. The decision is later today, I'm taking the cat back. She'll be observed for 20 days, and then she'll be put down. And so it's not such a happy experience. And I find that when we talk about 
Um, I'm such a big cow. Look at listen to me. I'm I'm nearly crying about this. You know, I mean, I've only well, had the cat. Six I weeks. mean, we how much does that cost these animals, right? Well, yeah, because she is. I mean, she is just such a sweetie when she's not having you know one of these things, and and you know, I mean, she just wants to have her head rubbed and everything. And so there's clearly something wrong with her. Um, and so really, I feel like this is the best decision. This is the the reasonable decision, because even if there were unlimited funds to try and track down what it is that's wrong with this animal, there's no guarantee it could be fixed, or at least fixed to the point where she could be confidently housed with people. So, but, you know, you don't hear about that. When you hear about the adoptions and the the pets and all this kind of stuff, we always hear the happy, warm, fuzzy stories like we've been talking about so far in the first half of our show. Kim, have you encountered anything like this before in your practice where just there's just something wrong, either with an adopted animal or maybe a uh, um, an animal that was purchased from even a reputable breeder? But there's something that's not you know that's not going right. And I think oh, yeah. my first thought was, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing? Am I doing something wrong? Am I approaching this incorrectly? Um, and sometimes it is the the owner, the human being, that's doing something wrong. But not always. Have you encountered this kind of thing in your practice, Kim? Oh, yeah, frequently. Um, dogs and cats, any animal, they're not, a, they're not immune to being born with brain issues like people. Um, mm-hmm. You see frequently dogs or cats that come in and, for lack of a better word, there's something just isn't right, okay? Either yeah. neurologically, the way they, they move, neurologically the way they interact or even personality wise you know just like uh, children can be born to different um, neurologic issues so can so can uh, dogs and cats I think in part like Jenna said because of the spay neuter programs we don't see quite as many as we used to just because the uh-huh. system kind of fil- filters that out a little bit but, yeah, we see it periodically. And some of them you'll start out, as an example, you'll start out as a, with a kitten that's nice and happy, warm and fuzzy, and then they get a little older. And as they kind of, as the brain develops, it doesn't develop properly, and then you start seeing issues later on. Uh, let's talk about a chihuahua. You know, they're born, they're cute and happy, and they're fuzzy, and then they often can be born with some skull and brain deficiency or abnormality issues. So some sometimes you don't see it when they're little. They kind of grow into it. I had a dog mm-hmm. came in just last week. As a she had just adopted it for one of the local adoption agencies, and um, she has two little kids. So she brought the dog in for us for doing an exam, and uh, started biting everybody. And it's a behavior that they'd never, they'd never seen. So she took the dog back because she couldn't afford the risk of having a biting dog in the family with two little kids. So, yeah, we see that periodically. Now, did she get this dog from a a breeder or from the shelter? One of the local shelters. Yeah. So what is the shelter going to do? One of my big concerns, you know, because as soon as I started, I I mean, I've been, I I called the shelter, I went back to the shelter, I called the vet, took her into the vet. I mean, I've been... Uh, dealing with this for a couple weeks, or if not more, saying, hmm, something seems to be wrong. Hmm, you know, this cat nips. Hmm, this cat bites. And, um, you know, okay, shelter, my vet says that she doesn't know what this is. We're trying the special food now, blah, blah, blah. Not sure whether this is related to skin condition. You know, can your vets think of something? Maybe, you know, maybe they've seen this before. I mean, I, well, I spent yeah. at least two weeks trying to track down what should be done with this cat uh, and what we could do to help it. But um, I was really disappointed um, in that I don't think the shelter took me too seriously until I literally took pictures of my my arm, you know, from the emergency room. And then it was kind of like, oh, you know, um, because I called him and I said, you know, I'm, I said, I'm at the point where I don't think I can handle this cat. I'm afraid of this cat at this point. <laughs> and the shelter person that I spoke to said something about, well, they could do this, they could do that, and then they could rehome it. And I went, whoa, spidey sense. I don't think, I, you're going to have to be careful if you rehome this cat. I mean, surely you can't give it to a family. I mean, surely you can't, you know. And so then I started mm-hmm. thinking, I don't, I don't think this cat should be rehomed. You know, there's something wrong here. 
um, and there's something dangerous here. And so I spent literally, and then even after the, the vicious bite, I mean, I had to get pretty aggressive with the um, adoption place to let them know that this is serious. Something has to happen here. And finally, uh, after four or five days, I just called them and I said, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm either going to take the cat to my vet and have her put down personally, or I will bring her to you tomorrow at X time. But something has to happen here. And so as soon as I did that, then I got a call back saying that they had consulted about it and they'd talked to the vet and they'd done this and that and the other thing and and had made the decision. But I was so disappointed in their lack of serious response to this. Have you seen that? Right. You well, know? Um, you know, and without, like, prior knowledge of how severe the bite is and all of the other um, kind of symptoms that you had discussed, because um, if you had called uh, maybe my shelter and just talked to our adoption staff and said, you know, my kitten's biting me, um, she's getting really rowdy in yep. the middle of the night, we're like, oh, well, that's kind of normal kitten behavior. Maybe you should play with her more or whatever. So without this prior knowledge, uh-huh. um, any kind of, like, neurological testing, um, you know, it wouldn't make sense for them to come to the conclusion that something um, medically is wrong with the cat. Um, so I can see how, like, the, the, your persistence, obviously, you know, with them, it'd be, frustrating um but because they work with cats and animals every day day in and day out it's not unusual for them to kind of think it's probably a behavioral issue because uh-huh. the response I, I you know i mean this is not my own interpretation here but it was kind of like a la la um you know rainbows and unicorns kind of response to this cat and you know i've been around animals my whole life this is not a la la rainbows and unicorns kind of situation here this is this is aberrant behavior mm-hmm. um and so, uh, you know, that kind of concerned me. Uh, Kim, have you seen situations like that where, you know, it's just, I mean, and, and I don't mean to bash shelters. I mean, God loves shelters, and, and if I decide to replace my cat, I will go to a shelter to replace my, my cat because 90, I'm sure 99 times out of 100 it works out just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I think that we as human beings can be a little too adamant in our reactions that everything is hunky-dory and wonderful and it's if there's a behavior problem it must be something that the owner is doing or it must be just you know uh, an interpretation issue have you seen this kind of thing kim oh yeah um let, let me kind of preface it by saying as i'm as i'm speaking to you I'm sitting in my chair in my my den and my cat is on my lap purring and doing little happy feet, you know the the kneading thing. So yeah, yeah. I'm very I'm very relaxed <laughs> squishy, and content. Squishy, 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 squishy. <laughs> yeah, right now I'm very relaxed and content. Now, in in kind of defense, some of defense of the shelters, I recognize that they have a lot of volume, a lot of animals coming through, and they do the best that they can with the people that they've got. And cats are very difficult to evaluate personalities anyway, because cats are cats, you know. There's cats right, are psycho, yeah. face it. I mean, um, well. Th- yeah, but I do. But yeah, but I've seen it. And it yeah, and it's it's got to be. It's very very difficult to do behavior analysis and personality analysis on any animal in a stressful environment, such as a shelter, especially with cats. Yeah. But having said that, you ask, have I seen that before in my practice? And sure. And I I, I disagree somewhat with the argument that there's no such thing as a bad dog, just bad owners. I disagree. I think some dogs are just no. born jerks. I think some cats are just born <laughs> jerks, just like some people are just born jerks, you know. Um, yes. You know, some dogs are just going to be born to be nasty and mean. It's not always, yes, it's a lot of times it's the people, but, I mean, if you look sure. at life as a bell curve, you're going to get idiots on both ends of the spectrum, and I think that also works yeah. for dogs and cats. Yep. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm sure that Jenna, as they're adopting, I'm sure they see a number of, and I'm not going to be breed specific here, but number of of dogs and cats that come in that just the their basic genetic personality is mm-hmm. potentially dangerous and can't be or should not be uh, adopted out for for safety reasons. Right. I mean, if if there's an animal that um, poses a threat to people or even other animals, um, we typically attribute that to a genetic problem. And no, they wouldn't be adopted out if they were thought to be um, an actual risk. And I'm just no. pretty. I don't t- don't mean to seem insensitive here, but the, as a practical matter, 
there are so many wonderful, friendly, loving animals looking for adoption that I sometimes don't feel we need to spend a lot of time, money, and energy on these dogs and, and cats that that uh, that can't be rehabilitated, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and I know, you know, uh, uh, a while ago, you know, my uh, personal vet, said to me, you know, you have to think about how much you have bonded with this cat at this point, and which I think must be vet speak for this cat ain't getting better. You know, <laughs> prepare yourself, lady, you know. Um, <laughs> um, well, you have a you physical know, connection uh, now. I mean, you're, you're blood brothers, so to speak, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, I remember when my daughter was little, we had a dog, her very first dog. And we adopted it actually from a breeder, and um, the cat, the dog was a show dog, and she did very well. And then she had uh, two litters, and then the breeder said, "You know, that's it. Two litters is enough from each of my my animals." And so then uh, she gave us Hershey to to for, in retirement. Well, the problem is Hershey had never been on grass. Hershey had only been on. Um, cement, you know, and kennels and show rings and things. And when she got here, she started developing terrible yeast infections, and we tried everything, absolutely everything, including a human medication that cost $500 a month, you know, for this this dog. Nothing worked. She was just in misery. And one time we took her to the vet, and the vet said, you know, you're going to have to make a decision about this dog. And I thought, oh, gosh, how do I prepare my, my daughter? You know, how do I prepare her for this? And and so I was trying to tell her, you know, her, she doesn't feel good, and her, she's this, and her, she's that. And and one day my daughter came to me, and she said, Mommy, her, she doesn't feel good, does she? And I said, no, and she doesn't. And she said, okay, I guess we should kill her. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I thought, all uh, this, that, you know, all this, this talk of my trying, you know, where we're going to put her to sleep. She knew exactly what we were talking about, you know. She knew exactly. And, um, yeah, harsh as it sounded, it was the better option. Uh, but I, I, I just laugh about that sometimes because I think here I tried to couch it in such gentle terms, and she knew exactly what we were doing. She knew exactly what it meant. Um, and I think sometimes we don't give kids especially credit for knowing what we're talking about when we're saying that we have to make choices and things about these animals. So anyway, I I just thought that that story kind of exemplified how we try to couch these, you know, the vet telling me, well, you're going to have to think about how much you bond it, you know. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I know what you're saying, lady, I know. What it comes down to is there are tough choices, and frankly, they're supposed to be tough choices. If mm-hmm. it wasn't a difficult choice, then there's so, then there's something psychologically wrong with you. Um, there's the there, there's the practical side of it, and then there's the emotional side of it, and they're tough choices. And like as I said, yeah. I think that it should be a tough choice. Right. The, yeah. Because animals yeah, are, are valuable. valuable. And I think and they, you know, sure. hold a special status, um, not only in our families or as individuals, but in society. And so, naturally, it, it should be a difficult choice if you ever had to make, if you ever had to euthanize your pet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But on the other, but hand, I also think that we have. Yeah, but I also think that we have to not be so romantic about it that we don't make sound choices. I, I, I have met people who will keep an animal alive long past the point where it's a kindness to that animal. And I think, well, of course, I mean, I've had I've had dogs that had cancer and had to be put down. I've had dogs, well, Hershey, uh, you know, the the she had to be put down. I've been with friends who, you know, it is not something that you want to do. But on the other hand, is it really a, a good thing to make these animals continue to live? Um, because if they were wild, you know, if they were out in the wild, they would have been dead long ago with their cancer or with their uh, yeast infection or whatever. Um, we've well, been keeping them alive with our medical. This is a conversation I have almost daily, honestly. As really? the quality of, of veterinary medical care improves and the technology improves and uh, we're seeing pets living longer and longer, I have this conversation almost daily with people talking about the quality of life issues. And my old boss used to tell people, when it's time, you'll know. And over the years, I've discovered that's generally true. 
it's not very often that I have to turn to a client and say, allow me to speak. I need to speak on Buffy's behalf. It's time to let go. It's not very often I have to do that. Yes, sometimes I do, and people ask a lot of questions. But, but, I mean, it's the upside to this is at least with what I do and what Jenna does, Uh if we have a pet whose quality of life is bad, we can let him go, you know, peacefully and humanely, which is something Uh a little bit editorial, which is something they don't let us do in human medicine. I mean, make you suffer until... So God takes you. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, well, until God pushes everybody else away and lets them, <laughs> so you get out yeah, of their yeah. way, so they take that, them. That's a whole po- <laughs> that's a whole different podcast in itself, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Although I got to tell you, I feel guilt about that too. I mean, I feel guilt about uh, Hoshi. You know, I mean, I know technically that this is the best thing. I mean, this this cat could not go with a family. I mean, I would just be so worried if they, you know, if she were rehomed, I guess is the, the phrase. But on the other hand, I feel guilty. It's like, oh, I, I took this, this kitty as a responsibility. She's such a sweet... I mean, it just wrecks you, you know. But well, I've also... A legal done li- this with there's a legal liability here, too. If you take a cat yep. or a dog that, that is a known biter and rehome it and somebody else gets issue, gets hurt, um, you're going to get sued. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And so, the, so there's the humanitarian issue, and then there's a legal and public health issue. Because um, I'm sure, I'm sure Heather, especially in, in or Jenna, I'm sorry, I bet Jenna, especially in her, in your line of work, I bet the the whole legal liability issue is a big concern for you. Right, and we also also pride ourselves on being totally upfront and honest with our adopters and we do behavior assessments on our dogs and you know to the best of our knowledge we can tell you what's going on with the particular cat that we adopt out so no we would never um you know knowingly adopt out an animal that would pose a threat to anybody um i mean if the cat didn't have any medical issues we might work with them behaviorally and then be totally um upfront honest about um where that pet would be best suited and so like a home with no children somebody who's really cat savvy letting them know that this cat has bitten or has the potential to bite because um unfortunately that you know cats do have the affinity to bite and you know still be able to be good companions um and hopefully come out of that behavior um but if they are a known threat and like with the situation with your particular kitten, um, if there's some other component that we know that can't be helped, no, that animal would not be rehomed. Yeah, yeah. And, in fact, back, you know, before human intervention, that cat probably would have died a long long time ago. Um, Right, before, like, all the different philosophies with shelters and stuff, because we all do a really great job now of trying to find a home for every pet that's adoptable. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and and uh, I think Kim, you made a good point that you know not all of them are, you know, and I think we need to talk about that a little bit. But let's switch over to a, a happier note here. If somebody wants a companion animal, where do they go? Well, I, I would of course. I mean, you have choices. I can I can call. <laughs> I well, Jen has of course, but what if I say? <laughs> Well, what if I say I want a dog and I think Dalmatians, I, I know this from a, a friend who was a breeder during the uh, every every incarnation of uh, 101 Dalmatians. There's this big run mm-hmm. on Dalmatians after the movie shows, you know, mo- movie theater thing. And um, Dalmatians aren't for everybody, well, but for she said every time, yeah, every time, you know, 101 Dalmatians makes a new incarnation, there's a run on Dalmatian puppy you know, design, people who want mm-hmm. a, a domination puppy. Um, how do I decide what breed of animal or what kind of breed of animal I want? And what, what's the difference between getting a, a, a purebred animal and one from the shelter? Why would I go one way or the other? Um, you know, genetically, I, I don't see a difference. And uh, 25% of animals who come through shelters are indeed purebred. Um, and there's lots of oh, really? rescue shelters. Yeah, and there's also purebred rescues where you can get on a list to see if you can find an actual purebred animal without purchasing from a breeder. Um, but what I try to tell people and what our big message is, is don't focus on a particular breed. Um, each dog is treated as an individual at our shelter, so we ask that you would kind of consider, you know, the same. And it's more about your lifestyle. 
are you active? Are you hiking every weekend? Um, are you a runner? Uh-huh. Well, maybe consider this husky mix who kind of needs that running um, and needs that kind of outdoor and exercise um, qualities. But are you more of a couch potato? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you kind of like to hang out? Are you an indoor person? Um, like to curl up on the couch? Maybe you might want to consider a cat or a small breed dog who doesn't have um, those needs. Um, so that's how we. Oh, excuse me, or we, Newfoundland. I have a Newfoundland who is a very <laughs> Once they get past that puppy stage, they, they, you know, getting up and bouncing around for about ten minutes is it for them. <laughs> yeah, or not just. Now I know, or if you're open now to I it, know why you're complaining about all the hair in the house. Now I know why you're complaining uh, yeah, about now you know, hair. Yeah, now you know. Yeah, I always uh-huh. I, with the, my newfie. She's my actually my my fourth newfie that I've had, and I always say there are dogs and then there are newfies. You know, because to me, a dog is a dog. I don't care what the breed is, except for newfies. <laughs> but uh-huh. I always say I have fur carpeting. I have fur carpeting, and I have ac- actually free humidifier. Everything, <laughs> the slobber in my house is, uh, you know, just it's just an, uh, it's a it's a park really because you don't have to worry about humidifying anything. It's it's just automatic. My in-laws used to you. raise Saint Bernard, so I know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay then, Kim. Explain this to me. I was washing my walls the other day, which is something that you frequently do with a Newfoundland because of the slobber. And I looked at mm-hmm. my ceiling, and there is slobber on my ceiling. How? How did this? I have the ceiling. I know. Uh-huh. I have a I have a lab mix, and I often find hair in the fridge or like when I'm cooking, and it just gets everywhere. It's just oh, something that you kind of you know. Well, with. that's okay. Yeah. That's just nature's way of giving you extra protein. <laughs> I, had a, I had a yellow lab that died five years ago from cancer, and I'm still finding her hair in the car. Yeah. Oh, I mean, well, you know, the, it's magic. The, the story it's magic. about Hershey, I mean, she had these terrible yeast infections, and the yeast infections smell awful. I finally, finally threw away my vacuum cleaner years after she, she died because I could still, every time I turned on that vacuum cleaner, I could smell Hershey. So finally, I thought there is no no cleaning, no new bags, no nothing that's going to get rid of Hershey's smell. So the vacuum cleaner finally had to go. Um, I was going to suggest maybe you send to change the bag, Heather. Yeah, well, I did it, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was to say, that's another thing with a newfie. You learn how to change those bags quickly. Oh, uh, dear. Um, I have had can so can much add, fun with the, both of you. Can I go ahead, add to this discussion about the choosing a pet? I sure. have real problems with the puppy mills. I'm sure this is oh, a, yeah. a probably a pet thing for Jenna. I, I see a number of pets that are adopted over the Internet from these breeders out of the Midwest. And I see a lot of them. And some of these poor puppies, and it's mostly puppies, they are a genetic mess. We had one recently oh. that had a, a serious heart disease that required uh, heart surgery. It's called a patent ductus arteriosus, and um, required surgery. And these people couldn't afford it. They bought this puppy on the Internet, and they fell in love with it. And I just see, I mean, multiple times, I see these these puppies come from Internet breeders, and I ask people, please don't do that. Go yeah. go see Jenna. Yeah. Or, right. Or go yeah, to don't local, buy or, a... Right. Yeah. It's not an accessory. Or, don't buy an animal so, that you right. can't meet first. Don't buy an animal you can't meet first. Um, I think that's just crazy. And don't pick an animal based on something you read in the papers or some movie or something. Pick an animal because it bonds with you and you like it. Uh, that's my lay advice for folks. Yes. Go to a dog. Um, you know, I, I, go, to I tell people, people go to a dog show. Go to a dog show and see the yeah. see the, the breeds in, in person and talk to the owners oh. and, and you know and pet and talk to the animals so you get to see what you're buying. Or more exactly. so, what's even more well, you know, I have is, is that if you just take a trip so? to a local dog park, you'll get a much yeah. better understanding of um, oh, how animals perfect. react. Because there's always breed standards, but each animal, again, is an individual, and so it's going to depend on their socialization and, and their, and their don't training. Don't base your choice on what the animal looks like. Base it on what your needs are, your living situation. You, you know, I mean, there are so many factors. I know, Kim, maybe you, you can like use this idea. I ceiling. have a friend who was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you like things growing on your ceiling? Um, <laughs> they, I, I designed an, an idea for a friend who was doing a, 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 a thing in a park for helping people. Uh, if you if you match up a, a dog owner 
um, and and you know you you decide okay I really like the looks of uh, Chihuahua. Go find some Chihuahua owners and say okay what does this do for you? How does it interact with children? How does it interact when you take it out to the park? How does it do this? Learn about that breed and its characteristics, not just how does it look. Um, you know it's kind of like picking a companion. Yeah, you can fall in love with the, the looks of the of the guy, but you know is right. that really something that you want to be happy living with? You know get right. something more substantial than just what it looks Careful. like. Kim, Jenna, we have run out of time. I, I I just don't know where it went. We're going to have to do this again, if you're willing. And I always end our show with a quote. And today it is um, a quote from uh, Robert Brault, and I have no idea who he is, but he always says, man is rated the highest animal, at least among, at least among all the animals who returns the questionnaire. So... Thank you for joining us today. Join us next week. Three women, three ways. And we are the show that tackles some problems and sometimes... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.